Hi, welcome back to another episode of Rick's Random Ramblings. I'm your host, Rick, and this is uh, Season 2, Episode 8. This should be Episode Number 8, as I hope it is. I have my notes in front of me, so it should be Number 8. My notes say Number 8. So, this is Episode 8. We'll just retcon it, if anything, right? We can do that. Yeah, we can do that. How's everyone doing this week? Um, it's been a really fun week. I got a few DMs uh, about asking about hero clicks, and um, so we're probably gonna uh, open up with some hero clicks talk because I did get some questions about it. Thanks to my mini rant while talking about Uncanny X number number one hundred five uh, about Fire Lord. Um, so hero clicks is like I said uh, last episode is a three uh, D miniature board game. You know, you got it's like a twelve by twelve uh, panel grid. It's kind of similar to chess. Just different uh, markings on the maps to indicate what kind of um, what kind of terrain it is. Some of it is like uh, you know grass or whatever that hinders the movement of your pieces. There's a blocking terrain that um, basically you can't move through unless you have some kind of like power. And there's uh, elevated terrain and water, of course. Elevated terrain, of course, being um, terrain that moves upwards or downwards, usually indicated by a like red square uh, or highlight around it, depending on what era map it is. Uh, my dad and my uncle got us into it when I was about five or six years old. I was really, really young. I remember the game came out like 2002, 2003. Uh, at first, there was only Marvel uh, characters, and then eventually they did come out with some DC ones like a year or so later. We didn't really have any DC figures at my house. We mostly had Marvel figures. Uh, my uncle had a lot of DC figures, though. He had like Batman, Superman, and you know what? No, actually, I don't think he had a Wonder Woman. I know he did have a Quasar. Quasar was one of the um, he was one of the better figures at the time. Because they, um, the way it essentially works is everything is on a combat dial. So, if you, so for those of you guys who played Warhammer, um, you know, the miniature 3D uh, games, in case you guys didn't know, it's another one. Uh, everything's, like, written down in a book. And you basically have to, like, pull out a giant book to get the, um, the stats and the movement and everything. So... What I really liked about Heroclix, especially as a, as a kid, was that it was pretty simple because every everything, the information was all on the combat dial. At least that's what they called it. So you had the figure and then you had a base. And on the base, there's four different stat lines. There's a speed, attack, defense, and damage value. So those things uh, indicate what your character can do, what their defense is, how much it takes for them to take damage, etc., etc., so the speed value essentially is how many squares they can move. Like sometimes you get a character that has like, I don't know, like eight movement. And that means he can move up to eight squares. And he can move, he doesn't have to move all eight. He can move just like two, but you know, most of the time you don't really want to. Uh, and then the attack value is a, um, determines, uh, actually let's go to defense value first. The defense value is how is how high the die roll and the attack roll have to be. So the the attack value you when you declare an attack essentially in Heroclix, you rolled some dice, a two d6, uh, that is a two six sided die. And you whatever it is you roll, say you roll like an eight, you add that to your character's attack value, and if it's equal to or exceeds the defense value, then they take damage, and then the damage would be like one two or whatever on the fourth uh the fourth stat so that's essentially how that works i think i hope that makes sense uh, i haven't really played in a long time so i'm not really familiar uh with the powers as much as i used to be i might have to look up some of the powers again but essentially what makes this different from other um other 3d games is the combat dial and the um some stats will have a colored box over it and that indicates a a power so um the, it was like basically the colors of the rainbow plus black and gray 
So depending on what kind of uh, color you have on your speed or attack or defense or damage, your character has access to different powers and abilities. Usually, it, at least in the early days, you only had like two or three powers like per click, if that. It wasn't too often that a character had a whole bunch of powers back in the day. Nowadays, it was like the color of the rainbows on the, on the dials, but it used to be a lot of fun. Uh, like I said in the last episode, my brothers and I had like a massive like uh, Cold War era, you know, arms race where we just couldn't stop. Uh, we try to one up each other constantly. My youngest brother actually found uh, Halo Hero Clicks, and we even played with those. But they're not um they're not very good. I'm not gonna lie. But the the sculpts and the the designs and details look fantastic. So they make excellent like you know statues. So it's fine. Um. They also have uh, Team and T figures, which I went all out on. I, I just I bought like three cases because I really wanted the IDW turtles, and I eventually did get them all. But ooh, man, that was that was ooh, that was crazy. So that's that's pretty much that. Uh, I like playing with X Men because X Men, you know, obviously my favorite comic. So I mostly play X Men. So whenever my brothers like, let's play. I'm whipping out the X-Men. I'm whipping out Professor X. I'm whipping out Cyclops. Basically, the whole 70s team is what I whip out. Sometimes I bring in Thunderbird, but most of the time he's dead, so he doesn't come in. But, you know, fun stuff. If I'm not playing um, if I'm not playing uh, X-Men, usually it'll be uh, Gotham City villains. So all, like, Batman's rogues. I like playing with them because you can make, like, a lamp-style team. Lamp, uh, back in the day, it was um, Lockjaw, Armor Piercing, uh, Mastermind, and and Poison. There we go. So back in the day, the way it was, um, there was a figure that you would carry uh, Lockjaw from uh, the Inhumans and Fantastic Four. He had an ability where he could like carry um, one piece and uh teleport them you know like within like eight squares or whatever it was and you could carry a a character like the joker who had a, a, a attack called poison it basically deals one damage to every character uh, around them every opposing character that is so you would uh you would have lockjaw um basically just teleport him loop within you know reasonable amount to the opponent's opposing team and he would just keep on dealing damage to them for free every turn he wouldn't really have to make an attack because you you were already dealing damage from the poison and he had a defense ability called mastermind and mastermind essentially um, allows you to transfer damage to a friendly uh, character that's adjacent or next to and so every time the joker would be dealt damage you would just uh, transfer it to Lockjaw, and Lockjaw had an ability called Toughness, so he reduced all damage by one. So back in the day, this was really impressive because um, you could just sit there and keep on doing damage essentially for free. And Armor Piercing was like a ability, I think it was on a card or something, like a battlefield ability where a character deals, uh, ignores damage reducers, like uh, like lockjaw's toughness he can ignore that with the invulnerability or whatever else have you so it was like it was really oppressive because it was really hard to break um really hard to like counter but i mean i, I can't remember what the counter was so that's what really bothers me but i'm playing more like a modern version of that it doesn't really work because there's no more armor piercing in the modern hero clicks game because we mostly play like silver age so that's like everything that's carded nowadays here let's figure out like cards and stuff like that so we had uh so i built a team where it was a uh, kite man he could uh carry up to three characters with the um with the gotham city underworld keyword so like on the carded figures there's like keywords like it'll be like gotham city uh, gotham city underworld uh scientists etc etc Basically, um, basically the team's affiliation, of the character's affiliation, that is. And I would have Kite Man carry the Joker around, and I would have the minions follow suit. So, 
Kite Man could carry the minions, the Joker minions or whoever else it was, and then uh, also carry the Joker. So every time someone tried to deal damage to the Joker, the Joker in particular, this Joker I was using is um he has a he has the mastermind ability plus poison, but he has he has a white box power. White boxes are basically uh, special powers essentially, and they allow you to do like you know silly things. So. There we go. I found him. He's from the Harley Quinn and the Gotham Girl sets. Just in case you guys ever wonder. Uh, he can use poison, and when he uses it, the damage dealt is penetrating. So he's got the Joker fish, and he's a really cool-looking sculpt. It's one of my favorite figures because it reminds me of the old-school uh, Heroclix. Uh, he's a common, so you can do budget builds with him. And <clears throat> Oof. Oops. I apologize. And he also has outwit, so he can like counter powers and stuff like that. And he has a decently high attack value. He's like an 11 attack, so he's not exactly a pushover. The only problem is he has he deals really low damage. He only has like a two damage most of his dial. So I would use him, and now I have Kite Man on the uh, on the side, and the the Joker thugs would just be like fodder. So Joker would just keep on transferring damage. Anyways, the point is the this team drove my brothers nuts, and this is probably why we don't play Hero Clicks anymore because of this team. Because I could not help myself. I love playing. Uh, I love playing with villains because you know, as a kid, you know, um, like you know, when you played those old school like uh, video games and stuff like that, you mostly were stuck playing as the heroes. So it was a lot of fun to finally play as like the villains. So this is uh, that was usually the team I used to have sometimes just for like like poops and giggles, I would play a whole bunch of um other jokers just to mess with my brothers. Um it's each I think almost every joker has um has the poison ability or something similar to it where they deal damage for free essentially. But it's only like it's like really low damage. Not like anything outrageous. Like remember he's only dealing one damage per turn and he's only really good if he can really get inside. Um uh, the problem with the Pete with this uh, strategy, at least especially in a modern day, was it's really hard to get up close to your uh, to your opponent. Usually, uh, there'll be like a range character that could counter you or could snipe you before you got into position. Especially if you uh, if you ended up going second. And my brothers and I we should play three player games. Three player games are kind of lopsided, and a lamp doesn't really work. The lamp strategy that is doesn't really work in a three player setting because. Um, while you're knocking out one guy, the other guy can, like, you know, attack you from the side. So, the strategy was kind of meh. So, what in a three-player uh, game, usually what I do is just stick Kite Man, uh, two Joker thugs, and the Joker in one section. And I have a character like, um, like Mr. Freeze, and he would uh, kind of, like, protect the Joker or the strategy and, you know, take pop shots. Let me see if I can find this Mr. Freeze. Look at that. Oh, I found the ones for my first try. It's the Mr. Freeze from the Batman the Animated Series set because, you know, I like the design. So he had like, a, he has like six range, so he can shoot up to six squares away. He has two targets, so he can shoot two guys at the same time. He can split the damage either way. And what I also like about him is that he has like a special power where he can, uh, place action tokens on characters but that's that's getting a little too deep into the game i apologize we've been talking about this for almost 14 minutes now my bad guys i just got really carried away but anyways the point is this was my favorite this is my favorite team to run just in case um you can probably think actually i don't really know where i got this idea from lamp i don't know it might have been my uncle by the same time, I can't really tell you because he used to play really cheesy uh, teams and have really low point values because like, each piece has like a point value similar to Warhammer. Typically, we play 300 points because it's like shorter games. You can get more games in when you play 300 points, but if you go up to like 600 to 500, you get a, you get like a massive army of like superheroes or supervillains or whatever else have you, and you can just have like lots of fun. So that's, uh, that's Hero Clicks. Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot of fun. If I can remember each of the powers of my cards, of my of my figures, 
not so fun if you're playing against lamp but then again there are probably worse strategies that i can't really think of on top of my head because it's been so long but yeah that's Heroclix. so uh let's get right into uncanny x-men number 107 I, this is a very sad issue because it's Dave Crockroom's last issue, and this uh, kind of that kind of makes me a little sad, but at the same time, also look excited because you finally get into the John Byrne era of X Men. The uh, Dave Crockroom era was um, really defined by redefining the X Men, and we're gonna see how John Byrne takes that that uh, that same concept into the next level. So I'm pretty excited, a little nervous. Because, you know, my boy is going away. But it's all good. Because he's, he's going to make a comeback uh, after John Byrne leaves, thankfully. So, this isn't the last we've seen of David Crockroom. Don't worry, guys. I, I know some of you guys out there are definitely upset that he's leaving. But we'll make it through it together. So, I'm going to take a quick break. Grab some more coffee. And then we're going to get right into it. Don't go anywhere, guys. Okay, we're back. So, Uncanny X-Men 107. I love this cover. It's fantastic. It's uh, pure Dave Crockham greatness. Once again, this cover is uh, definitely top 10 X-Men covers from this era just because of the, the various uh, characters and colors that we see. We have the, uh, the Star Jammers coming up in the background, the X-Men caught in the center, and the... Uh, the, the uh, Oh my gosh, the guard, Leandra's, uh, not Leandra, the Shi'ar Emperor guard. I don't know why the heck I forgot that. I was, oof, man. Anyways, uh, the Shi'ar Emperor guard are in the foreground and they're surrounding the X-Men. So the X-Men look, like look like they're in some very serious trouble, very deep stuff. Uh, since the, uh, it's the beginning, the incredible saga of the Star Jammers, and will it be the end of the X-Men? Of course, we know it's not going to be the end of the X-Men because there's another like 400 issues uh, in this series. But nevertheless, at the time, of course, we didn't know because if Thunderbird got killed, you know, the rest of the X-Men, there, there's a pretty high chance. So this issue picks up right where Uncanny X-Men number 105 left us. And if we remember, 106 was a filler issue because of uh, time constraints and vacation days and all that kind of stuff. So we missed out on the issue. So this issue, uh, of course, was written by Chris Claremont. Uh, Dave Crockroom was back on the pencils. And then uh, Dan Green is on inks. Now, Dan Green's pretty awesome. Uh, I mostly know Dan Green as the guy who who uh, inked um, John Romita Jr.'s art. Actually, no, I was going to say throughout the '80s, but honestly, he 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 did it. He's been inking them for like decades. Um, if you guys remember, I don't know if, if some of you guys know, but uh, John Romita Jr. is back on uncanny on not uncanny x-men he did do uncanny x-men no, john Romita jr is one of the artists on uncanny x-men but he also had an asm run in the 80s and then he left for a little bit did some daredevil then in 2000 um it was like 1999 2000 2001 whenever j michael j was writing the uh the book once again Romita jr was back on the book and once again, Dan Green was inking his work, so it was uh, it was pretty funny. Uh, and now, once again, twenty years later, uh, John Romita Jr. is back on ASM, penciling it, and his anchor is once again Dan Green. Like Dan Green is, he's he's Mister Old Reliable. So uh, just pulling up his bibliography, Dan Green inked uh, Uncanny X Men one hundred seven, and then he comes back like. 70 or 60 issues later for uh uncanny x-men 179 all the way to get this 261 guy was a pro look at this and then he comes back for issue 300 to 322 and then he does a, a few little things here and there uh in 2003 2004 but that's a lot of uncanny x-men guys like that's uh that's pretty impressive so get used to seeing dan green uh especially if you guys are if any of you guys happen to be reading the uh, 80s X-Men run, late 80s, 
was that 1984, I believe, 1985. So get used to him. He's he is actually very good. He's very good at hiding um, mistakes that some artists may make, with, especially with anatomy and stuff like that. So he's he's fantastic. I especially appreciate how um, how thin his lines are. He really knows how to how to do line weights uh, very nicely. And this is like more of his earlier work. So um, he did. I think he started around nineteen seventy three ish, give or take. And um, so he's he's had a few years under of experience underneath his belt, but nevertheless, he's here on Dave Crockrum's. Uh, pencils and it is fantastic it's gorgeous um it, it's just it, he compliments he compliments crockroom so well crockroom is very like um he's precise yet energetic at the same time and it suits him very well now in this issue we once again see a leandra uh, the the queen uh, not the queen the princess soon to be queen of the shiar empire her older brother is insane. He's called Deken the Mad, and he uh, he's trying to to you know do typical bad guy things. He wants ultimate unlimited power. Uh, not too different from the Emperor from Star Wars. Basically, think of him like that, except he's a bit younger and he he's just very evil. So we're gonna meet that character in this issue, and we also get to meet the Shi'ar Emperor Guard which are basically like the legion of superheroes uh essentially I, when i was a kid i knew every single name of each member of the shigar emperor guard and now as an adult i was struggling to remember each of the characters names the only one i remembered was gladiator and fang and i felt really embarrassed as i was rereading this issue and i, I could not believe myself i was like oh my gosh man i used to my memory used to be so good, especially with these characters' names, like these like D-list characters, but they're Dave Crockroom characters, so that's why I love them so much. So um, the team leader of the Shiga Ember Guard is a guy called Gladiator. He's a purplish-pinkish alien with a mohawk and a cape. If that doesn't reek of awesome, I, I don't know what to tell you. That That's awesome. That That's so... That's just dope. Uh, he's got all the powers of Superman, okay? And his weakness is when he begins to doubt himself or lacks confidence. That's his weakness. Once uh, doubt enters his mind, he loses his powers. But as long as he's cocky and confident, he is one of the most overpowered Marvel characters ever. And it's hilarious. So, he's a team leader. He's OP. He probably does not need a team to be honest because he is that strong. But for some reason, he has a team. Uh, Fang is like a Wolverine knockoff. He's wearing a brown and tan costume with like little like looks like teeth hanging from his uh, from his neck. So that guy's pretty dope. And then there's a bunch of other characters that I don't remember the names of, but they also have fantastic designs. I told you guys Dave Crockroom is king at designing costumes. I mean, Karma and Fantino are my two favorite character designers, personally. I think they always do a fantastic job, no matter what book they're on. They just, they kill it, guys, every time. So this splash page is my favorite Dave Crockham splash page ever. Uh, it's the seven X-Men, a Cyclops, Colossus, Banshee, Wolverine, Nightcrawler, Storm, and Phoenix, all centered, huddled up together, looking astonished. They can't believe within just a minute ago they were in new york city and right now they're in the middle of a galactic empire in the middle of our space and that's amazing even wolverine looks shocked like his first lines like the only line in that um in the splash page is where blue blazes are we and i totally felt that wolverine that totally did uh it, it's just great uh i was so excited i was hyped uh, and then we get a fantastic double page spread of the X-Men all the way in the left side, a giant jewel right in the middle in the background, and then the Shi'ar Emperor Guard with Leandra. And they're just at a standoff and the X-Men are still so surprised and they're they're basically just freaking out because they have no idea what the heck's going on. Keep in mind, at this point in time, 
Not even the audience knows what the heck is going on. All we know is that these aliens from outer space keep on coming to Earth. And Professor Xavier has been going nuts these past few issues. And he's seeing things. And now everyone else can see the things that he sees. And he's been he's been going all out of whack. So now we're finally going to get our, our uh, answers to all of our questions. The majority of our questions, really. But nevertheless, Shio Emperor Guard is very surprised. And Cyclops is trying to keep things peaceable. And they said, just give us Leandra and we will go. And uh, Gladiator, the, the team leader, or just a yeah, general, whatever, of the Shi'ar Emperor Guard says, yeah, no, it's not happening. So a, a massive fight ensues that lasts the whole issue. This issue's all action. You thought the last couple like issues were all action and stuff like that. This issue is the most action you will ever get out of an X-Men book. It's... Two, two or three pages of setup, and the rest of it's just smooth action. Like, it comes out of nowhere. And it's, just, it's, it's, it's generally hilarious. So, David Crockman does a fantastic job, you know, managing all these different characters, all these different costumes. I don't know how the heck he did it. He must have had, like, a reference sheet that was, like, as big as his office because that's how many different characters there are. There's, like, 20 to, like, 30 Shi'ar Emperor Guard members. Like, it is outrageous. So some key moments in the fight, because this issue is mostly a fight scene, so um, there's not really much to go over, but there are some of my some personal favorite scenes of mine within this particular issue that I really do enjoy. Uh, that includes um, Nightcrawler uh, fighting a dude who can shapeshift, and to help out Colossus and the others, he takes his image inducer and mimics the appearance of the monster the Shi'ar Emperor Guard member uh, becomes and i get this his name is hobgoblin that's pretty funny so the hobgoblin character sees this freaks out then turns back to his normal form and uh, nightcrawler just socks him in the face and that's it that's the end of him and then we have a uh, top five wolverine moments i'm sure everyone on twitter is always talking about this because i see this scene at least like once a month on twitter wolverine soloing like five shiar emperor guard members and he's about to beat up on this guy's girlfriend. So the guy comes in. He's got like Human Torch-esque powers. Or if you guys are into uh, Legion of Superheroes. Uh, that was a flaming guy. can't remember his name. Sunboy. Something like that. Anyways, he burns Wolverine. And uh, it doesn't really do anything to Wolverine. He's kind of like mildly annoyed. And his clothes get burned off. So right now he's running around naked with like one glove and like half an underwear. So he takes the girl because she starts laughing at him because he's naked, takes her and then throws her at her boyfriend. And the two of them are knocked out just like that. And then meanwhile, the fan guy that I mentioned earlier, Wolverine knockoff. Wolverine sees him and he's like, yeah, come here. You and I are going to have a fight. And he just like starts socking the guy. And now we don't see Wolverine for a few pages. So he's having fun with that guy. That's like uh this is a great moment. There's an even better moment a few pages from now when we come back to Wolverine and see what happens to him. But meanwhile, uh, Phoenix is out of the fight. Now, something, a problem that we had, uh, or rather Claremont had, and we didn't really have this problem because we didn't care. We're the viewers. We're like, yeah, Phoenix is awesome, right? However, editorial did not feel that way. Editorial felt that Phoenix was getting too was too powerful. Uh, her powers were essentially limitless. Remember, like two issues ago, she whooped Firelord's booty, right? It was no contest. I mean, he, he kind of held his own, but like, not really. So she whooped them, right? So that just tells you the grand scale of her powers. She has unlimited power. Let's see what I did there. Uh, so what do you do? Who does she fight? How do you solve the... One of my characters is so overpowered, and the rest of the team are the same power level that they've been since their first appearance. So in this issue, Claremont uh, says that Phoenix is too weak to fight because the teleportation drained her of her power. So she doesn't really do any fighting. So a Cyclops is sitting right next to her trying to console her. So that's the reason why we don't really see Phoenix in this issue other than her teleporting the X-Men to this uh, planet. Now we're going to see the consequences of Phoenix's power becoming way too overpowered a little bit later. Not actually not too far away. It's just 
a mere 20 issues before we get to the Dark Phoenix saga. Keep in mind, that's um, some people's favorite uh, X-Men story. It's a quintessential X-Men story, to be honest. If you are a X-Men fan or even a comic book fan, it, it is hard to tell someone to read an X-Men story. I I probably would tell them to read Dark Phoenix, but the problem with Dark Phoenix saga is it's so emotional because we've been following this character for 100 plus issues. And if you don't have a connection to this character, the ending of the book and the uh, the consequences that we see in that book don't hit us as hard. So I'm not too sure if I would recommend that uh, particular story as a first time one for some viewers or someone's interested in X-Men. I personally just start at giant size X-Men number one and go work your way forward. The Silver Age stuff is a novelty. It's nice, but I wouldn't recommend a new reader to, uh, I wouldn't direct a new reader there. I wouldn't tell them, Hey, start X-Men number one, because giant size X-Men number one basically recaps the majority of the X-Men stories. And it's even touched upon later on in the run. And the majority of stuff there gets retconned anyway. But such is the way of comics. However, if you are curious and do want to read some of the Silver Age stuff, please go uh, to like issue, I think it's issue 50. Read from issue like 50 forward. Once Roy Thomas takes over the book. Fantastic stuff. Uh, there's like 14 issues of just pure awesome X-Men stuff. Uh, and that's that's personally where I would start you guys off. But that's just me. Anyways, back to Uncanny X-Men uh, 107. So the fight continues to go on. Um, night, we, we also see Nightcrawler um, teleport with someone for the first time. Keep in mind, Nightcrawler has not done any type of teleporting at all for this, uh, with, with, with another passenger, at all this entire run. So this is the first time he's done it. And he's winded as soon as he does it. And as soon as they get Leandra back, Leandra goes into the, the nice, long... A two-page uh, summary and backstory for why all this is happening. She says that her older brother, Deken, king and leader of the Shi'ar people, basically, they're almost like half bird, half human, but they don't have beaks, thank goodness. They definitely have feathers, though. Uh, he became power hungry and wanted to uh, rule the universe and gain ultimate power and be become, yeah, like, yeah, pretty much, that's pretty much it. And so she was, when she uh, rejected this idea and told him that this is nuts, he had her imprisoned and then later to be killed, publicly executed. She escapes, uh, senses Professor Xavier from a million and millions and millions of miles away, and they form a psychic rampart. She doesn't have the same uh, telepathic abilities as Professor Xavier, but she has something. Uh, it's not as powerful, but it's powerful enough that she can form ramparts with other people. So she was sharing her uh, distresses with Xavier, but Xavier wasn't prepared for it, so he took it as like nightmares. Anyways, the Shi'ar, Emperor Guard, and Deken find out about this, so they sent Eric the Red to go and kill Professor Xavier because they also got wind of the second rampart. They were also hunting for Leandra and... Uh, Professor Xavier, and unfortunately, X-Men got in the way, so the X-Men did their thing. So that explains the entire, uh, that's basically the summary of Uncanny X-Men number 97, 101 to 105. So essentially, this entire thing has been orchestrated by the Ken, Leandra, and the Emperor Guard. All because this girl didn't want her brother to go power hungry and go crazy. But unfortunately, he still is crazy, and he's the leader of the Shi'ar Emperor Guard. So Leandra, of course, tries to get Gladiator, who must be a reasonable man because he is a team leader of the Shi'ar Emperor Guard, to see reason and to tell him, to tell Deken that he's in the wrong and he will trust him. But of course, a Gladiator rejects this and he says that they ha he has to do what he has to do and Deken is the king and that's it. That's that. So he won't be budged. Meanwhile, uh, top five moment from Wolverine once again. Wolverine, remember that that guy Wolverine was fighting? The Fang character? Well, Wolverine must have killed him. Because right now, uh, 
and the next uh, three pages, Wolverine is wearing Fang's uh, uniform. So he killed his man. And ironically enough, it's pretty funny to me. Uh, we're going to see another another Fang, almost like Kang. Oh, gosh. Another Fang, a few issues from now, when we see the Shi'ar Emperor Guard again. And uh, he's going to get killed, too. So it's really funny. It's just like a little bit of a gag that Claremont and company do. Every guy that wears that be, that wears the Fang costume gets killed because apparently on his planet, uh, Fang's like a title, like the Black Panther. So it's like a lineage thing. Like someone else will come in, or there will be a, some kind of game or whatever, or Olympic type of thing, where the successor is uh, decided. So that's something I, so that's something I always found funny and always enjoyed. And Wolverine's kids not killing him. So Wolverine uh, tries his best to knock out as many guys as he possibly can, but he eventually does get knocked out. Uh, Cyclops finally re-enters the fight after standing by Gene all this time, listening to Re Leandra rant, and he's knocked out almost immediately. Um, so just as Gladiator is about to get a hold of Leandra, he's shot. And next page, a fantastic establishing shot. Of the Star Jammers. It's fantastic. Uh, so the Star Jammers are a uh, group of ragtag, uh, not quite space pirates, but I, I guess like freedom fighters. They're all they're basically the Guardians of the Galaxy from the movie. Imagine them like that. Uh, they're people who are wanted by uh, some of the uh, authorities, and they fight for freedom, peace, and um, galactic way. I guess. And they're really awesome. Dave Crockham created them. Um, they're some of his own creations. Claremont did not want them to appear in this issue or the or the issue uh, was at 105, where we first met them in that one page, uh, because he was afraid that Crockham wouldn't uh, get ever really get any rights. He wouldn't have any more creative control over the characters. But Dave Crockham fought for for these characters to be put in this issue. He really wanted to have his uh, legacy cemented. And um, yeah, that, that, so Claremont said, as long as you're okay with it, I'm cool with it. Let's do it. So these characters are, um, they're pretty awesome. There's a giant uh, killer croc looking guy. And his name is Chode or Ch Chohad. I always said Chode as a sound right, but I think that's probably it. There's a really cool guy named Raza who's got like a biotic eye and like a bunch of gadgets. He's basically like um, the other Marvel character, Deathlock, assassin type of guy. He's pretty cool. He's also got a ponytail, it's like Japanese samurai with the gun. That's pretty dope, right? And then uh, Hespath is a the team leader's uh, lover, kind of. They have a really weird late relationship. He calls her, her his pet. It's, it doesn't sound right, I know. Uh, anyways, the team leader's name Corsair. He's awesome. He's wearing a bandana. He looks like a '70s GI Joe character, with um, with the uh, boots and guns. Uh, it's kind of funny actually looking at him right now. Uh, he's he's a pretty awesome design. He's got you know reds, blues, and blacks. So he's like roguish, thuggish kind of character who's just like a, basically Jack Sparrow in space, guys. Uh, that's, that's probably the best way to describe him. I love this guy. Uh, there's a secret about him that I don't want to spoil just yet. We're going to wait for it. But for those of you guys who know, don't say anything yet. Because Jean Grey, uh, read, Phoenix rather, reads his mind and she does not like what she sees. She mentions Cyclops' name. Because um, as it turns out, Crosair speaks with American slang and uh, has an American accent. And that doesn't make any sense to her. So she read his mind and it all makes sense to her now. Meanwhile, Deken uh, begins ranting about how the universe is going to be destroyed and uh, he's going to gain absolute power and no one can do anything about it. So he activates this giant crystal that Leandro won the X-Men about called the McCran crystal that will gain will give anyone uh, unlimited power or at least open a portal to a place that gives someone unlimited power. It's a really weird thing. Uh, it's totally a Star Trek episode. Actually, this, this, these last few issues are definitely Star Trek episodes. So, the X-Men are terrified, and then reality blinks out of existence for like a few seconds. And everyone starts freaking out. So, back on Earth, 
Uh, remember Dr. Corbao from Uncanny X-Men 101 to, uh, no, wait, no, he was in, he was in number 98, right? Yeah, he was. It was like number 98. It's like 102-ish. The scientist guy who was Professor Xavier's friend, he notices it and he calls the Fantastic Four and he tells him for a fraction of a second, the universe and all things in it cease to exist. And, and of course, the Fantastic Four are freaking out and Reed Richards, who's the team leader of FF, Mr. Fantastic, in case you guys don't know, he's, of course, freaking out too. And Dr. Corbao says that if it keeps on happening uh, uh, again and again, the entire universe will cease to exist and everything in it. And that's how the ep- that's how not episode this ha- this issue ends. It says and now Armageddon. Fantastic. This uh, this issue was awesome. It was awesome, guys. The whole thing was action. I love it. This was one of my favorites. The colors in this book are amazing. They're just um, they're bright. They're colorful eye-catching i love it i'm sure you guys at home will also love it i hope you guys have been reading along with me or just listening to me rant either one's fine but i would really love if you guys were also reading this thing alongside me because it's really awesome i don't want to spoil everything but no there there is always spoilers in this but this issue is awesome dan green he's the man he's awesome uh, everything I, i'll have no complaints about anything in this issue to be honest uh, it's typical I don't know. That's the funny thing. Like, this isn't this isn't grandiose, right? Like, uh, obviously the the universe is potentially going to get destroyed, right? But this is this is just you know cool storytelling. Like, it's just fun. Like, there's nothing there's nothing crazy about it. Like, it's not like it's the biggest X Men story of the year. No, it's just cool. It's it's fun. Like, we're we're following the X-Men in outer space. What more do you want out of a comic? And it's so funny because it just built up slowly over time. And now it's finally this, this thing. And this is it. The payoffs are coming, guys. This, this is awesome. So the uh, next issue is issue 108. Uh, this was Dave Cropper's last issue on Uncanny X-Men. I'm very sad. He's going to come back after John Byrne leaves. But this is very sad. Uh, we're going to be introduced to Mr. John Byrne. We're going to talk about John Byrne uh, right after I take this quick break. John Byrne's awesome, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to miss uh, Dave Crocker. Um, I love him. He's awesome. Top top 10 Marvel artist ever. He's great. So dot, uh, if you, in this case, I've, I probably did tell you guys, but Dave Crocker had to leave the book because he had uh, some hard, a hard time keeping up the monthly schedule. Was a schedule in general, uh, making deadlines and stuff like that. So he wasn't able to. He was also doing uh, Ms. Marvel around this time, too. And that was another book that eventually does get canceled. But nevertheless, uh, I'm going to take a quick break. When we get back, John Byrne and Uncanny X-Men number 108, Armageddon Now. Don't go anywhere, guys. And we're back. My dog is being very loud and very annoying. He keeps on begging for attention, no matter how many belly rubs I give him. Anyways, Adam and Candy X-Men number 108. Let's dive right into it, because we're already at the 44-minute mark, and uh, I'm trying to keep this thing as close to less than an hour as I possibly can. So, Uncanny X-Men number 108. Our first issue without uh, superstar artist Dave Crockham, in my opinion. In my opinion, he's a superstar artist, but some, some may say otherwise. So... This issue, as the previous issue was written by Chris Claremont, uh, no matter how many times we talk about this, I'm always going to remind everyone that Chris Claremont wrote them, and it's illustrated by John Byrne. Terry Austin's on inks, and Archie Goodwin is our editor, once again. So, let's talk about John Byrne. John Byrne is a, um, he's a British-born comic book artist, and he's amazing. He's like one of the greats, in my opinion. He is fantastic. He's he's like top tier. One of my favorite artists in general, not even related to comic art. Uh, I might sound like a bit of a fanboy, but he's, he is that good. Um, unfortunately, in this issue, the the, st- the style difference 
uh, difference in style rather is pretty apparent uh, especially because Quark Room has a very distinctive style and so does uh, Burn. In my opinion though uh, Burn's a lot better at drawing the uh, advanced technology if you want to call it that the uh, alien kind of looking stuff so it's you know, it's kind of like give and take. However, I love both artists um, pretty much equally. I kind of lean more towards Burn because he drew, he's pretty much drawn every single Marvel comic. Uh, Spider-Man, uh, X-Men, like right now, Avengers, he was writing, he was also drawing around this time, and even Fantastic Four. He also did West Coast Avengers, and he had a few indie books that never really took off as not as much as we would have wanted them to but it was he did it he was fan, he was doing it fantastically it was amazing so uh his fantastic four run by the way is probably the second best fantastic four run ever and i, I think in my opinion he revitalized the fantastic four um it was just that good uh, i definitely recommend you guys checking that out if you guys are really into this type of art style that we see here in uh, this Uncanny X-Men issue 108. It's uh, it's pretty fantastic. It, it only gets better from here. This is, uh, he's just been starting out around this time period in the uh, 70s. So he has so much more room to grow. And he's, I think he takes over Fantastic Four in like 1982. So great stuff from him. Uh, he also did Avengers, in case I didn't mention that. Uh, he was doing that around, around this time period too. And it's... It's just great. He's a fantastic artist, and I, I can't really say enough great things about him. I can talk about him the same way I talk about Dave Crockroom, so I could rant on and on about this guy, but let's get into this issue uh, and try to cover it uh, in the next, like, 15, 16 minutes, right? So this issue picks up exactly where we left off. The Uncanny X-Men are um, looking at the McCran crystal. They're astonished at its glory and majesty. And they are, uh, they're just, they don't know what to do. They managed to defeat the Shi'ar Emperor Guard, but they still haven't won yet. Uh, Emperor Deken is still insane, and he's, he's still trying to get his whole plan into motion. So, here he is, um, inside of, right on top of the crystal, just, you know, doing his thing. Meanwhile, the X-Men, uh, ponder on what they're going to do next and they also question cyclops about what leandra had explained to them it's essentially just a, a recap of everything that's happened uh from the last issue and uh yeah that's pretty much it um on that end however uh, there's a little tidbit uh on page like uh page four a uh, page three sorry where the chris claremont has to show us how deadly the McCran crystal is and how um, how screwed the universe is if the X-Men doesn't win because he's going to show us uh, Dr. Cobain, again, the scientist friend of Professor Xavier, and he's going to be speaking with the president, the Avengers, and Mr. Fantastic of the Fantastic Four. So the reason why we know uh, this is uh, an Avengers-level threat is because Dr. Cobain tells us that Someone's got to do something, and uh, Jimmy Cotta uh, is here, and he tells them that he uh, he has different data that shows that um, that the world and the universe was not in fact ceasing to exist in and out of uh, blinking in and out of reality, essentially, as we saw that happen in the last issue. So, Doctor Corbain is really upset because the president's not going to do anything about it, and Mister Fantastic and the Avengers kind of can't really help. Because they, they either don't know enough or it's outside of their hands. They're too far away to really do anything. Because remember, the X-Men are on the other side of the universe. So they can't they can't really help. They, they don't have any method of just teleporting over there. And they don't really know where it's really coming from. So right now, if the X-Men don't succeed, the universe is screwed. Basically. So that's how we know that this event is uh is very deadly it's this, this could be the end of the universe as we know it and no one can do anything but not to worry we have the x-men on it so uh crosshair uh we learned last issue he had something to do with cyclops and 
um, we find out in this issue from Jean Grey, uh, Dash Phoenix, that um, he's actually Cyclops' father, uh, which is really funny. Uh, I don't know if this was Claremont's decision or Dave Crockham's decision or both of them were okay with doing this, but sometimes I kind of wonder uh, what would it be like if Crosshair, we didn't know that ever or he just wasn't because it, it, the Star Jammers are a Crockham creation and it just so happened that uh, he brought them to the X-Men title. So uh, I kind of wonder about that. But the X-Men uh, fight a little imp. He's a, he's a little short guy. And everyone tries to get the drop on him. And it turns out he's actually the, the guardian of the McCran crystal. And he's completely he's completely overpowered. He's like um he's like a like a leprechaun. It's actually really funny. Uh Wolverine calls him short stuff and gets his butt kicked. And everyone pretty much just starts getting their butts kicked by him. Chode even. I love that guy's name. Um so Banshee comes up with a plan, defeats the little ink by screaming in front of his face, and it turns out he was actually a robot all along. So um, Banshee's like sweating and like retired, and as they look up, there's another giant uh, guardian, and he's the he's basically the hand that we see on the front uh, cover of this issue. He's pretty cool. I like his design a lot. I, I think um, I think that Burn does a great job, uh, just just like with the design and stuff. He, I really do like the way he draws Raza of the Star Drammers. He looks, you know, he just looks like a deadly assassin. It's just really awesome looking. Uh, I love the way Crockroom drew him too, but, you know, something about the way Byrne does it, it's just always, it's always fantastic. So, that's some awesome stuff. And uh, Raza is great because he goes in a little rant about how he will never be another man's slave and then, like, picks up the Ken and just starts beating him up and throws him. And uh, that's when the X-Men are suddenly, um, they're transporting to the McCran Crystal out of nowhere. And the X-Men start freaking out because um, they kind of can't really see anything. The entire world is black all around them. And uh, they begin seeing their worst nightmares. And I really do like, I really do love the way that Byrne uh, interprets this. I would love to see what the script for this issue was and like like really weird psychedelic scenes like this that make no sense or maybe to us anyways i wonder what what did claremont write for those panels when he was um when he when he was writing it out for the script and everything for burn to see i wonder what exactly was the description of the inside of the mccran crystal like did he just tell him just make it blank like black and then, like, have at it. Or maybe he just told him to use his imagination, like, an abyss. It's just really awesome. Uh, it's kind of pondering that. Um, just pondering it. I don't know. It's kind of like a thought that popped in my head uh, as I was reading this. And it's it's a really, it's a beautifully drawn uh, page. This is page uh, 10 out of uh, out of 18. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's pretty fantastic. But. Anyways, so the X-Men are all seeing their uh their worst fears come to life and the Ken is seeing that the um the soul drinker that he tried to feed to Leandra last issue, he sees it going after him. And it's pretty funny. We probably didn't talk about the soul drinker uh from last issue, but uh it's a freaky looking creature. And I'm not no, I don't mean, I can't even describe it. It has like a nasty looking tongue and eyes and a tiny mouth, but it this tongue is huge. It's like his tongue's like the size of a regular human being. And I really do like what um what Nightcrawler sees. He sees that the uh, he's being hunted like he was in Giant Size X-Men number one, but he's being hunted by um the X-Men instead of just a random mob. It's like his worst nightmare is his friends turning on him. So I really like that uh, that little tidbit. And then we also get a chance to see Crosshair. We get to learn a little more about him. Uh, we know that he has some kind of relationship to Cyclops, but we don't know exactly what it is yet. We find out a little bit later, but we get to see that he's yelling uh, for a woman named Kate, and it turns out it's his wife. He's got her her uh, her dead body near him, and he's uh, he's really sad. He's really upset, in anguish. So that's pretty awesome. We also get to see Cyclops' worst fear, and his is losing control of his power, and as he's um. As he's seeing this in his own mind, it's not literally happening, of course. He's blasting. He's using his optic blast on like on auto, and he just can't help himself. 
and Phoenix sees uh, some kind of like zombified version of herself, but it turns out uh, it has no effect on her because uh, her fear of death died when she died. So it's kind of cool. Again, these panels are very, very well drawn. I can only hope that I ever get to this level. I mean, Byrne was like, what, 27 when he was doing this? So who knows, man? It, it, it's just really awesome. Uh, and Scott accidentally shoots at Jean. Turns out she's uh, she's like almost like a ghost. It's, it's pretty cool. It's a really nice looking effect. So she knocks out Cyclops and sees the other X-Men in anguish. And she um, she decides to try to take on the McCran crystal um, all by herself. So she, uh, I'm going to be honest, this is a really funky scene. She, uh, she can, she's able to see all the things that are happening, um, like almost around the universe. And she basically unleashes the power of the Phoenix to try to, uh, stabilize the McCranic crystal, so to speak. So it doesn't like blink everything out of existence. However, um, uh, she's not strong enough and she, uh, she's afraid that she's not going to be able to contain this, uh, this power. So a storm wakes up. And lends her her strength. And um, Phoenix goes to Crosair and asks, asks him for his uh, some of his power. And Crosair asks him, actually, basically, essentially, he questions her, asks her why should he? And then she calls him by his name, Major Summers. And she says, there's no more time. Give me your hand. So he's amazed that she's able to know who he is and of course he doesn't know that she's actually a telepath and all these you know the backstory stuff about you know uh phoenix but it, it's just really awesome so she takes um takes his hand gets his power that unleashes the full might of the phoenix force onto the mccran crystal and then suddenly everything's okay it's really funky it, it makes no sense to me i'm gonna be honest uh it's really weird as a kid, I had no idea what happened, and as an adult, I still kind of don't really know what happened. They got transported inside the McCran crystal, and then uh, Jean used her um, plot-based power, and uh, she essentially saved the day. And before you know it, the X-Men are back on Earth, and Phoenix is knocked out because of all the energy she expended or expelled out of her body as she uh, as she used the power. So that was pretty awesome. And uh, meanwhile. Uh, back on Earth, Fire Lord is standing right there right by the gateway uh, that we left him uh, a few issues ago. And um, he's uh, he's he's peaceful. He's like, yeah, Professor Xavier told me everything that happened. And I totally know that I was uh, tricked by Eric the Red and the various forces of, uh, you know, the Shi'ar uh, Empire. So, yeah, we're pretty chill. So um, uh, that's pretty awesome. Uh, it was also awesome to see Leandra come back. She joins the X-Men uh, because she's banished because technically she did rise up against her own empire, yada, yada, yada. Essentially a bunch of politics. Ooh, something just like thumped outside. I don't know what the heck that was. Um, you guys probably heard that because this Blue Daddy mic picks up everything. Um, anyways, so Leandra stays with the X-Men and she and Professor Xavier uh, basically just uh, are in love. It, it's kind of weird because... Uh, because they have a psychic ramport, so they can, like, share every emotion, thought, and feeling that they have. So, like, for them, developing a relationship is, like, almost instantaneous. Because they already know everything about each other, essentially, because they're both telepaths. So, it's kind of weird. But um, the X-Men kind of just chill on the final page. I really like that last panel that uh, Byrne did. Because it's just... It's like... Uh, the colors of the rainbow, essentially, um, and the X-Men in silhouette. Um, and it's just really cool looking. You can see all the different uh, all the different shapes and characters, like um, Jean with, uh, with her parents, Storm hiding out in the background like she always does, and Crosair and Cyclops with Colossus, while Nightcrawler's like patting Wolverine on the back as Logan... Uh, is sitting down, crouched up. It's it's a really awesome looking panel. I just really love it. And then um I also love this final uh this final little caption right here. It says this book is dedicated with respect and admiration to Dave Crockram, who helped make the dream a reality. And then uh in parentheses, I'm not dead. 
signed Dave Crockerham. So like he's still, you know, I really love that. They give, they give massive amounts of credit to this guy because I mean, he, he did kind of revive X-Men uh, with his, uh, with his art and his characters and costume designs and all this and that, you know? And so trying to imagine X-Men without Dave Crockerham is, uh, it's impossible for me, but it, it's just really awesome. Like this whole issue is just, it's just really, um, kind of closes everything out like if you told me uh uncanny if you told me uncanny x-men ends with issue 108 i wouldn't even be mad because it just kind of it's like whoa the x-men saved the universe and nobody will ever know that on earth so it's just it's cool guys uh so this is next next issue there shall come a hero so that's pretty awesome uncanny x-men number 109 huh but uh definitely uh for another time uh, right now, I'm going to take a quick break, and then we're going to go right into uh, wrap-up. Uh, Uncanny X-Men number 108 was fantastic. It was great. All right, guys. Uh, don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. Okay, we're back for the wrap-up, guys. Wrap-up. Oh, man. I cannot speak today, man. Uh, so, yeah. Uncanny X-Men uh, 107, 108. Fantastic stuff. Uh, it just... This is pure Bronze Age goodness. Um, the more I read uh, Bronze Age books, the more I'm starting to believe my dad when he says, tells me all the time, Rick, Bronze Age books are where it's at. And, you know, I agree with him. I, I definitely do. I just like my Silver Age stories a little too much, unfortunately. Okay, so for next week, um, I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be at a Magic the Gathering tournament. Good uh, Go ahead and see how far Esper uh, Reanimator takes me. But in the meantime, I will have an episode coming out. Uh, we're going to skip Uncanny X-Men uh, 109 to 110. And we're going to be uh, having a short discussion about uh, Captain Marvel number 11. Uh, this was the Captain Marvel written by Peter David. I think this is like volume four. For some reason, there's so many Captain Marvel um, volumes is kind of annoying, actually. That's one of the, my biggest qualms with uh, American comics is the sheer, like, just number of volumes that they constantly put out and it's just trying to find and complete a run nowadays is, uh, jeez, it's just aggravating. But it's all good, you know. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Captain Marvel number 11, uh, written by Peter David. It's a standalone issue. You don't really have to read the rest, of, like the you know, the prior runs or anything. All you need to know is that Janice Vale is the son of Captain Marvel, and he's just hanging out in outer space with Rick Jones, uh, stuck to his uh, molecules. Uh, Captain Marvel is one of my favorite characters, just the, the OG one and his son. Um, they're both just you know, just have fun stories, you know, cosmic stuff. Uh, if you guys know me, I, I love my cosmic heroes as much as I love my, you know, mid-street level heroes. Um, nothing really beats the X-Men, but uh, Captain Marvel could really come close to it. Um, so, yeah, we're, uh, this is also really awesome because it was drawn by Jim Starling. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be awesome. Uh, this episode, just about an hour and ten-ish minutes after I add in the uh, the transitions and everything else. So, I'm gonna, just going to call it a night. Uh, you guys can follow me uh, on Twitter, Rick Maldonado 97 at Rick Maldonado 97 that is. And you guys can also follow me on Instagram, either The Dark Nut Rises, if you guys want to follow me uh, for my art stuff, or Rick's, Ram Rick's, Rick's Random Ramblings on Instagram as well. That's where I'm usually, po I'm usually just post updates on there, nothing too outrageous. Sometimes I post pictures of you know cool art found throughout the week or whatever else have you, but you know, uh, I'm not really... Not really the Instagram kind of guy. Always on Twitter, though, constantly. Um, you guys can also visit my website, ricksrants.com. That's R-I-C-S-R-A-N-T-S.com. Uh, you guys can find uh, all my episodes on there. If, just in case you guys aren't already on there listening to this podcast, I'm also available on Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. I always forget about Spotify for some reason. Um, I also post occasionally some blog stuff, some additional rants, and pictures of my art and portfolio. You guys can always check that stuff out. 
gets updated uh, regularly. Sometimes, you know, uh, between, you know, side projects and all that. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so I'm pretty excited for uh, this past next weekend. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Anyways, hope you guys enjoy the episode. Uh, as always, uh, I use Marvel Unlimited just in case uh, you got, anyone wants to know. Um, this is it's just it's just really easy for me. You know, it's all right there. I don't have to dig through the long boxes, the short boxes to go find the books. It's all right there and tip my finger on my right at my fingertips. So it's awesome. So anyways, take care, guys. Uh, see you guys next week for a uh, bit of a shorter episode. Probably like, you know, half an hour or so. Nothing too crazy. We won't get into, you know, I mean, we'll go into some pretty fantastic detail, but nothing like we uh, we normally do. Short rants. All right, guys. Take care. Have a great one.